Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The greater the length, while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Hi, I'm Melissa Hadley-Barrett and I designed the Penile Rehabilitation Program to help men recover from prostate cancer. It's an online program built on decades worth of knowledge and experience and practice. It's the only one of its kind in the world and it actually works. So if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer and want to get your penis working again as quickly as possible, and why wouldn't you, then visit penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you'll be off and running. And it only takes about 15 minutes a day. All the best with your recovery, which I promise will never be as bad as you think. November 11, 11am, 60 seconds, kids watch on the wall. Today about sexual dysfunction in men. So here I am. So I'll tell you all about it. So first up, I just want to introduce you to Jeffrey. This little character here is Jeffrey. He is my little penis friend who... Um, is very you'll see him throughout the rest of this presentation he's quite cute I think and because I don't have a penis I get him to help me explain all of these concepts so I thought first of all I'll tell you about me so I'm a nurse practitioner and I'm a sexologist and those two things sound like they're a bit strange and how did they come together but for me my background is I was a remote area nurse for many years and I had a lot of people come in with sexual problems. I'm also a midwife, uh, so I was kind of quite comfortable with genitals and all of those things. And I worked in emergency departments for many years. And then in 2011, when nurse practitioners were able to get Medicare, I decided to set up my own practice in Geraldton. And I got a lot of patients in who had sexual problems. And I just became really interested in it. And I had one day I had a particular lady come in uh, who I remembered when I worked in emergency department and she used to be in her 40s then and I was in my early 20s and she used to talk a lot about her sex life and as an early 20 year old you're quite disgusted at the idea that old people have sex and then many years later when I was in my 40s she came back and she needed a pap smear and it's the first time I'd seen her in years and when I went to do it she had quite severe vaginal atrophy so I said to her, well, why have you let this go? I remember you being really sexually active. And she was really sad and said that the reason was because her husband had had his prostate out a few years before and had developed severe sexual dysfunction and was depressed and their relationship had broken down. So that led me on a bit of a quest to find out how I could help and learn more about male sexual dysfunction. 
and I went back to university. I did end up helping them in the short term by getting some advice from the uh, man, Stephen Adams, who used to be, who is my mentor, and he taught me everything. Um, and then I went and helped them. And it was so rewarding for me and such a good outcome for them that I decided that I wanted to learn more. So I went back to uni and I did a postgraduate in sexology. And here I am. Now, I was working in general practice still one day a week until a year and a half ago. And after that, I just run restorative sexual health. And I have two other nurse practitioners that work for me and um, hopefully another because we're so busy. So today I want to talk to you about sexual dysfunction and the common ones. I'm not going to talk about STIs because I know you guys know that probably way better than I do. And you have other talks on that. So sex with sexual dysfunction is not the same, but it still can be good. And in my experience, often couples in particular who experience sexual dysfunction will end up having saying to me down the track that their sex life is actually better than it has been in years because it's made them open the conversation, talk to each other about it and tell each other how they feel. So it doesn't always have to be bad. And also they can try new things. Uh, the little vulva on the surfboard is Veronica, if you're wondering. So sexual dysfunction is really common. It affects 30 to 50% of the population. And it's even more common in people who are depressed. Um, and then that's also correlates, you know, it's also a bit of a circle if you're depressed and then often you'll have depression uh, you'll, if you're depressed you'll often have erectile dysfunction and sexual function problems like anorgasmia but if you have those problems you'll often end up depressed so the two things kind of go hand in hand the first thing that I think is most important is bringing up the conversation with patients so we don't always have to have the solution to a problem but I think it's really important that we bring this up. And in your role, it's a lot easier because I'm speaking to sexual health quarters people. Um, so people are coming to you to talk about that. So it's a lot easier to bring it up. But in general practice, it's actually quite difficult. And the research shows that men really want to talk about it, but they're embarrassed too. And they don't often ask the question, even though they should. So this slide has a lot of kind of my new... Um, stats but the basic is over 40 years of age about one in five guys will suffer erectile problems or sexual dysfunction problems over 50 it's one in three and over 60 it's one in two so you know this is a really common problem and often when a guy comes in and he's really embarrassed and starts to tell me their problem I'll say first up do you realize how common this is because men don't talk to each other and because they don't talk to each other they don't know so they just think they're the only one and they feel really alone. So just explaining to them that people, everyone pretty much at some stage in their life will have some sort of dysfunction, um, makes them feel a whole lot better and a lot more open to talk about it. Um, I was asked last year to present at a GP study day about this topic. And I did a survey of my uh, patients. There's about 4,000 plus on our database. Um, so we sent it out to everyone. We only got 286 responses, but I wanted to know had their GPs ever asked them about their sexual function and only 23% yet said yes. But when we asked them if they'd like to raise the topic, they 80 or 79% said they would. So, and also the other thing that's 
we asked lots of questions, but these are the most pertinent. I think there was also a big problem with people being prescribed medication for various things, which we'll talk about. And they were never explained that there was a potential sexual side effect to that. Sorry, I've repeated those. So what to do from your perspective? I just want to say, you know, there's a whole lot of things that are caused by medications. And I think that first up, it's really important to get a really good history. And I'm probably speaking to the converted, but when someone tells you whatever the problem is they're having started whenever, try and go back and find out if there was any relationship problems, any extra stress in their life, and if they started on any medication, because people won't often connect an antihistamine that they're taking for some for um, hay fever with erectile problems. Um, they won't won't think about blood pressure tablets. They don't think about recreational drugs. So there's a lot of things that cause this problem that we you know, often don't think about. And so men won't connect the two. Um, probably the most common thing that I see in younger men is guys who are taking testosterone supplements at the gym. They don't think about how they would affect their fun sexual function. The other thing obviously is asking all about their physical health because other parts of their body do affect the function of their penis. And we're going to talk about soon why I think of penis as being like a canary down the mine. And this question is really important. So men always want to know from me, what can they do to make things better? And the things that they can do really are, they can control their diet. They can control how much they exercise. The more they exercise, the better blood flow to the penis, the better it'll work. They can control whether or not they smoke and whether or not they drink alcohol. They can, you know, I always say use it or lose it. So, you know, practicing pleasure and practicing using things if they need to, to help like pumps and things, which we'll talk about in more detail, they can do that. They can change the way they think. So I think many penis owners um, are quite penis centric and they think that's all sexual sex is about. And so <clears throat> I think really talking to these people about that it's not all about the erection and that you can get a lot of pleasure with a flaccid penis and you can give a lot of pleasure without a hard penis or with a bent penis or whatever. So I think it's really important to talk about their mindset and changing the way they think about it. Managing stress is obviously a big one. Improving your relationship is very important. You know, I think there's a common misconception that men's sexual function is fine regardless of whether they're arguing with their partner or whatever, but it's not. It affects most men a lot when they're in an unhappy relationship or they have work stress or family stress. Um, and seeking help. Like, I think if something isn't working like it used to, it's a grief process. So having someone to talk to and tell them how you feel and particularly people who have had long-term illnesses, they often feel guilty that they even care about their sexual function. They're like, maybe I should just be happy that the cancer's fixed or whatever the problem is they had is fixed by the medication. But I think it is reasonable for them to feel grief and sadness when things don't work. And we need to acknowledge that and encourage them to get help. They're not in control of what's going on physiologically often. Um, so nerve damage, you know, how long it takes to repair if they've had any kind of pelvic surgery. We often, we all know that prostate cancer surgery affects men's sexual function, but what we don't often think about is other things. So last week I saw a 30-year-old man who had a massive tumour um, 
bone cancer that was removed from his hip. Um, he'd been going to see his GP, thought he had a hernia, and the hernia turned out to be a very huge bone tumour. And when he had that pelvic surgery, he had to get a titanium bits of his pelvis rebuilt and a titanium hip. And so obviously when they did that, there's a lot of inflammation in his pelvis and he's developed erectile dysfunction. And at that young age, that was never anything that he was thinking about when he was given a cancer diagnosis. And now he's in the recovery period and it looks like he's got the all clear. This is a real problem he didn't realise might happen. So there's a lot of things that can affect it that we often don't think about. And so this whole, you know, when someone does come to you with this problem, I think it's really important to accept that it is a lot of grief related to that. And we need to talk about it and think about it. So these are just some short things that many people don't know about ejaculation and erectile function in penis owners. So every time a man ejaculates, a little bit of wee comes out. Uh, we don't notice usually because it's mixed up with everything else. But if there's no ejaculate for whatever reason, because they have surgery or they've got retrograde ejaculation or something's happened, often you'll only see a little bit of urine. And I think that's really important for people to know so that they're not shocked. Um, and in particular, if they have a partner, that their partner knows it's always been there. Um, Post-prostate operation, obviously, the orgasm is dry. There's no more wet spot, but that's not it's not just in that situation. So many drugs will make men have something called retrograde ejaculation where they will orgasm. The pelvic floor will squeeze the prostate to, and then because of a blockage or because of the medication, the um, ejaculate will go back into the bladder instead of out. The person should still have exactly the same sensation, but it's a little bit perturbing if they don't know why this is happening and why it's happening suddenly. It can also happen when people just have enlarged prostates. Um, a man can have an orgasm without an erection. Um, many people don't know this. And to be honest, I never knew it until I studied sexology. So this is because actually getting the erection is from the nerves around the outside of the prostate. But having an orgasm is triggered from the nerves that innovate the pelvic floor and also the um, base of the penis, so muscles. So, you know, we don't need to have an erection to have an orgasm and I think that's a really important thing I see men all the time that can't get an erection for whatever reason and when I explain that to them they've never tried because if they've stimulated their penis and it stayed flaccid they've just given up but I encourage them to try and they often feel a lot better when they know they can still feel pleasure even though they can't get a hard penis um, orgasm after removal of a prostate can often be more intense so it's I think that's because there's nobody really knows the reason, but many men say this. The reason I think is because they've never done pelvic floor exercises before. The stronger our pelvic floor for men and women, the more intense our orgasm. So I think that's the reason. Um, it's the most plausible reason because the other thing we find is men who take up yoga or Pilates will often say that their orgasm is more intense as well. And that's because they're very concentrating on their core and getting a really good core strength and outer course is a thing so you know there's intercourse where it's penetration by a penis and then there's outer course and it can be just as enjoyable so I'm just going to give you a very brief anatomy of the penis 
um, and tell you why he is like a canary because it's a little bit strange. So there's the three cylinders that make up the penis, which are the corpora cavernosa. Um, two are like cigars and they're like a sponge and they lay side by side on the top. Now here, this is the real Jeffrey I'll introduce you to now. So there's one here, one here, and then one along the bottom. The urethra or the P-tube is down here. Um, and this goes all the way up and becomes the glands. So they're the bits that fill up with blood and give us, give guys or penis owners the erection. Um, the tunica is the tissue that surrounds them. And it's one of the most flexible tissues in the body. And it's very stretchy and expandable. Um, thank God they don't pop like a tire. Um, the prostatic plexus is a large bundle of nerves that hugs the prostate. So we have the prostate here. And if you have a look, the, whoops, sorry, just threw that across my desk. The prostate nerves are here on the outside. So they're like ears on the outside. Um, these nerves, they transmit messages from your big head to your little head um, and help you get an erection. So they're really, really important. And then there's the pedendal artery and the efferent vein that pump blood in and out of the penis. We have ischiocavernosis muscles, which are the muscles at the base of the penis, which pump the blood into there um, and increase pressure and therefore you get better rigidity. The main inside part of this penis is full of smooth muscle. It relaxes, dilates, lets the blood in so that it can get hard. And then when it's ready to go down, vasoconstriction occurs and the blood goes back out. And the brain. If your brain's not in it, nothing is. So one of the most common Google topics is penis size. So I don't think we can talk about penises without talking about penis size. Um, all penises get bigger when they're erect, some grow more than others. And often men will say to me and will even book an appointment just because they want to know if their penis size is normal, particularly men who are from cultural backgrounds where they might be going back to their home country to marry and have an arranged marriage. They're often never seen a penis other than their own or on pornography. So they have sort of distorted views of what a penis should be like. So I have a fantastic book called Bared Essentials. I think it's on my bookshelf up here. And it is called that, The Bare Reality. And it has 100 pictures of different penises in it, which I think is great because often just sitting down with someone and going, let's have a look at yours. Now let's have a look in this book. It's normal because if I just tell them that, they don't believe me. But when they get to look at the book and they see lots of other ones, they do. The other thing is, is that there's showers and growers. So showers are penises who are all out in front for everyone to see and they're the same length when they're flaccid or when they're erect and all they do is get harder and stand to attention. Growers are people whose penises are like back in their body um, and they're just a little bit shyer, but then they still usually get to a decent length and hardness when they get an erection. So often men are fooled. They think that they've seen guys in the locker room who have much bigger penises than theirs, but Theirs might be exactly the same. Um, it's just that theirs is shy. And there's a lot more growers than there is showers. Showers are a rarity. So if your penis grows more than four centimetres when erect, you're a grower. Um, most people are growers. Um, if it grows less than four centimetres, then you're usually a shower. 
and 74% um, of people in the study that I looked at were showers. You know, the difference really isn't much and it doesn't have any bearing on how things feel. So don't worry about size, but still, I think that it's important that, you know, if people are worried about that, we can give them a decent answer. So why is your penis like a canary? Um, many of you might already know this, but in the old days, they used to put canaries down mine shafts. And when they put the canary down the mine shaft, if the, like in a coal mine or whatever, if the carbon dioxide levels got too high, the canaries would be either be dead or get unwell. RSPCA wouldn't like this, but anyway. And that would be the sign that they needed to get the men out of the mine shaft and let the, the air levels improve. So your penis is like one because when um, penis owners have a change in their function, it can often be related to medical issues, particularly cardiovascular disease. So it's a very big warning sign. So, you know, when a man comes to me or a penis owner comes to me and says, my penis isn't working properly and it hasn't been for six to 12 months, the first thing I think is, have they got a problem with their heart? Because we can actually use it to prevent heart attacks and get treatment early if we know what we're looking for. So heart health and heart health are really closely related and they're really important. So from the onset of when men have erectile dysfunction, there's a three and a half year window where we can address these cardiac pathologies. So very, very important that we pay attention. We don't just give them tablets to give them an erection. We actually can help with the erection, but we also need to make sure the rest of the body is healthy as well. So these are just some interesting facts about penises. They're born ready. Um, there's in ultrasounds of fetuses, they already have fully formed erections. Penises get erect three to five times a night when the owner is in REM sleep. Um, and it's the body's way of keeping these muscles exercise. I always joke with my patients that God is clearly a man because the penis exercises itself while we're asleep and we don't actually have to take him to the gym until there's a problem. Um, you know, your penis actually goes all the way back into your body. So when someone brags about how big their penis is, they're not actually lying. Most of it's probably back hiding. It's a bit like a um, iceberg. And there's no bone in your penis, but you can still break it and it's called a penile fracture. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But when men break their penis, then they can develop Peyronie's disease down the track. And it is important. Often I'll see men who had a broken penis, an injury, and they just didn't go and see anybody. And then they'll come in a year or two down the track and they've got a misshapen penis. And it would have been so much better if we could have seen them earlier on in the process. But there still is things we can do. Just as a side note, dogs have bones in their penis. One of my patients is a um, vet and he was telling me that little bit of information the other day. So the prostate gland sits at the bladder neck. So if you go back to my little model here, this is the prostate and this is the, sorry, this is the bladder and this is the prostate, then your pelvis bone and then your penis would be here. The nerves, as I told you, are the nerves that are around the outside of the prostate and they're the ones that are most important for erectile function. Any disruption to those, such as cancer treatment, as I said earlier, any kind of pelvic surgery, um, it might be hip replacements, it might be gallbladder removals, it might be um, cold, uh, you know, having bowel cancer, anything like that can negatively affect those nerves because there'll be edema in the area 
and then they'll end up with erectile problems, which we didn't, they wouldn't have considered that they were going to from those type of surgeries or, or illnesses. The other thing that um, I see a lot of is men who ride bikes and they spend a lot of time on push bikes. I mean, great thing because they're getting blood pumping in their body and it's healthy and really good for them. Um, but the negative is, is that it's putting a lot of pressure, as you can imagine, on that perineum and squashing the nerves um, around the prostate. So anyone who spends a lot of time on a bike should really get a split seat. And there's lots of these available now. It just takes the pressure off the perineum. And often when I'll see guys who are bike riders, they'll say, oh, I do get a really numb area down there and my penis is numb when I get off my two-hour bike ride. And I'll go, well, that's just damaging the nerves. So let's change that. Padded pants and split bike seats. So what happens when a man gets an erection? The man becomes aroused and a message is sent from the penile tissue and nitrous oxide gas is released, which causes vasodilation. Then the blood pumps into the penis via the pedendal artery. And when it's full, the veins pinch shut. Um, it's like parking a car on a garden hose. And when the erection's no longer usable, they want to use it anymore, the veins drain the blood back from the corpora cavernosa to the body via the efferent vein. I explain this really simply to patients and just say, think of it like a kettle. You've got a kettle, electric kettle, you've got a, a cord going to the power source in the wall and the power source is your libido. If any damage happens to those that, that cord, you can't boil the kettle. So if you get damage to these nerves, you can't get an erection without help. And lots of things damage those nerves, as we've talked about, and age is in particular as well. Everything goes downhill with age. And I always think this as well. I'll often see men who will come in and they'll sit there and say, oh, I've got um, erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or whatever the problem may be, and I don't know why it's only just happened. And they'll have a big scar on their knee where they've had a knee replacement and I'll say, oh, what happened to your knee? And I'll go, oh, I had a knee replacement. And I'll say, oh, what from? And usually they'll say, oh, just age, wear and tear. And I'll go, well, how come it's okay for your knee to wear out, but not your penis? Um, everything suffers from wear and tear. And yeah, it's, I think sometimes it's just, they go, yeah, I haven't thought about that. So they always think that it's in their mind. And I think that's really sad because they blame themselves for the problem. And often it's not, it's due to something else. So orgasms, big thing. They have lots of health benefits. There's like happy hormones, relaxin, oxytocin are all released in your body and it, they make us feel good. So very good for your mental health to have orgasms. When you have it, the pelvic floor contracts um, for both men and women. The only difference is, is when the man's contracts, it squeezes the prostate and they ejaculate. And as I said earlier, orgasm can occur without ejaculation. Oh, sorry, orgasm can occur without ejaculation and it can also occur without flaccid penis. So just a little bit about um, ejaculation. Semen consists of sperm and prostate gland fluid from the prostate gland. And the sperm is made in these little seminal vesicles and then it goes into the vas deferens, gets dumped at the base of the urethra and joins up with, a, with the fluid when you have an, when men have a ejaculation. 
So the muscles at the base of the penis are triggered and they squeeze and release the ejaculate. Again, it's really important to know that ejaculation doesn't have to happen for someone to experience the feelings of an orgasm. So first up, we're going to talk about erectile dysfunction. So there's quite a few ways to treat this and everyone knows a lot about ED. So most importantly, PDE5 inhibitors are the perfect way to start. So Viagra, Cialis, Levitra, and there's also Spedra. So all of these drugs, they're the trade names. Um, the generic names are Sildenafil, Tadadafil, Vardenafil, and Avanafil. Um, and if you want to know more specifically about PDE5s, I have a YouTube channel, and on that I've done a whole one just on PDE5 medication because there's a lot of nuances how you take these. And I'm just mindful of time, so I don't want to go into exactly the detail, but if you go there, you'll find it. And also there's a table that I've created to explain it. But what I find is often people are prescribed these drugs and they're not explained to properly how to take them. So, for example, Viagra takes an hour to work. Um, so there's no point doing anything for at least an hour. And they don't just pop up by themselves. So you need to make sure that you've waited an hour and the person taking it needs to understand that they need to be aroused for there to be any effect. So my silly example I always say is if you took a Viagra and then you didn't stimulate, nothing is going to happen. So, you know, you really do need to be aroused for it to work. Um, Cialis is the same. It takes one hour before it works, but Cialis stays in your system for 36 hours. Viagra is only in your system for six hours. So the other thing is, is that Viagra is affected by food. So if men have gone out for dinner or penis owners, sorry if I keep saying men instead, um, go out for dinner and then they think, oh, I'm going to get lucky tonight, I'll take a Viagra, they'll often find it doesn't work because it just isn't absorbed well enough. Cialis, on the other hand, is not affected by food. So that's a better option in that case. Levitra is also not affected by food and Spedra, the new one, isn't either. The great thing about Spedra is it only takes 15 to 30 minutes to work. So there's a little bit more spontaneity with that. But unfortunately, Spedra is still under patent, so it's expensive. It's $54 for four tablets, whereas Viagra and Cialis now, you can get generics, they work just as well, and they're much, much cheaper. Then we have penile injections. Um, a lot of my time in clinic is teaching uh, penis owners how to inject for for, for erections, which I'll go into a bit more detail in a minute, and vacuum pumps and outer course. So I've told you about these PDE5 inhibitors, and I'll give these slides to Alison as well, so you'll be able to see these things on there. But um, yeah, there's there's difference between them all, and it definitely is important that people try all of them because some people will get a great response with one and nothing with the others. Vacuum erection devices, there's lots of them. Um, most important thing with these is I see a lot of young men who have used them not correctly, used them too much and have actually caused damage. So I think it's really important like to know that you can overuse these things. Everything's good in moderation, but they're not they shouldn't be getting used. I know there's some online programs that tell people to buy a pump and they need to use it for 15 minutes a day and have it solid out and all these bizarre things. The problem with that is, is we see men develop hard flaccid syndrome, which I'll talk to you about in a little while. 
And we also see men develop something called a vascular leak. So if you remember how I was talking about that the blood goes into the penis via the artery and back out through the veins, if the veins are incompetent because they've been damaged or sometimes because of age, then they'll be floppy and they won't trap the blood. And so then you get a vascular leak. Now, the only way really to treat a vascular leak is to get aroused, get as much of an erection as you can and then put on a lasso um, because there is no surgery for that. So I can't stress enough for young men in particular, do not use a penis pump more than you need to. Make sure you use it as prescribed and don't buy one that's dodgy and has too much pressure because you can do long-term damage. And from a health professional's perspective, it's always a question I ask, have you been using a vacuum device at home if they have any kind of problem that has arised? So this is the pump that I prefer. It's called a Vacurect. Um, it comes with all these rings and they work really, really well. And I'll use this tiny ring to show you, but the way it works is you put your penis on the end here, you pump it and it pops in. And then when you pump it up, it fills with blood. You can pump him up to about 80%. They don't get better than that. And then you just leave the ring at the base and you can use him. They actually work quite well. Um, and lots of people are really successful with them. I think they're great for couples who know each other well, but they're not good for single people or um, people who are in a new relationship. A bath mate is a different type of pump. That's what little Jeffrey here is holding up. And it's one that men use in the shower. It's very good for exercise and it can't do damage because it, it doesn't get too high a pressure. These are both um, registered medical devices, but you can't ever use a ring with it to trap the blood in effectively. And a soma correct is a particular type of vacuum erection device, which can be used for Peyronie's disease. Then we have injections. I think they're great. Um, they're wonderful because they don't hurt and no one ever believes me until they try their first one. But the reason they don't hurt is there's no nerves in this part of the penis inside. So men will feel a flick on the skin um, where they feel like just the nerves there know that they've had a needle, but everything else they don't feel. Men who are diabetics will say when they check their blood sugar level, it's much more painful than when they use their penis injection. And the way it works is you use an insulin syringe, goes into an auto injector, sits on here, you press the button, push the plunger, take it out, and 10 to 15 minutes later, they get an erection. Now, there is a drug that you can, that GPs prescribe for this called Cavaject, and it works well for some men. The problem is, is one in 20 men will get pain as a reaction to that ingredient. So there's a lot of other compounded medications we use for injections that don't cause pain. So if someone tells you tablets don't work and oh, I've tried injections, but they were painful, they've been given that drug and there's a lot of other options. So I encourage them to try again with someone who knows what they're doing so that we can mix the dose a bit different. That, Biggest negative with intracavernosal injections is that you may be able to, um, if you give too much of the dose, you can get an erection that won't go down a prior prism, but Sudafed is the antidote to it. So when we teach um, injections, we also teach them how to deal with it if it happens. And, you know, we also start off with a very tiny dose and gradually increase it until the person knows exactly what the right dose is for it to last a good amount of time but not too long and be hard enough for penetration. 
This is a picture of the penis actually get being injected, but I think using an auto-injector is a much, much better option. So now we can talk about premature ejaculation. Um, so premature ejaculation, the definition is when somebody has penetrative sex and they come in less than two minutes. That isn't a problem if it's not a problem for the person and it's not a problem for the partner. I think, unfortunately, a lot of um, penis owners today watch pornography and because of that, it looks as though everyone goes for ages and they don't have an orgasm. So there's a lot of problems with this with, prem with premature ejaculation is unrealistic expectations. So it's not unusual for me to see a penis owner come in and say, I've got premature ejaculation and they actually don't have it. They just think they do because they're used to watching porn or they've read something that they should be lasting much longer. Um, the other things that can cause premature ejaculation is some medications. Um, but the most common reason that it's caused is you can have two types. So there's primary and secondary premature ejaculation. Primary, some unlucky penis owners are just born with this problem. And from when they first start having orgasms, it's just always really fast. And in that case, in my experience, using techniques such as the stop-start technique just don't work. But there's medications that help. So the most common one that we prescribe for that is SSRIs because the negative side effect of them is causing anorgasmia, but prescribing those in this instant in a very, very low dose will often just fix the premature ejaculation. Uh, I saw a guy about two months ago now who'd had premature ejaculation his whole life. Um, as long as he could remember, he'd had a lot of failed relationships. He really, his self-esteem really suffered because of this. And he'd recently met a woman that he really wanted it to work. And he was like, this is the problem. There must be something I can do. Um, he'd tried everything he'd read online, the stop-start technique. When he came in, I said to him, this is just a problem that you have, a physiological problem with you. We started him on an SSRI. And I spoke to him two weeks after and the problem was resolved. And he was like, I just wish I knew about this earlier. It could have changed my life. So he was feeling a lot more confident and happy. Um, so the stop-start technique is when we encourage people to like stimulate themselves to a point where they feel like they're just about to have an orgasm and then stop. And then that way they can train themselves to go longer and longer. And I, again, really important that they are setting realistic goals. For instance, being able to penetrate for five minutes without having an orgasm, not you know, an hour as it looks like in porn because then we don't want people to be training themselves and then end up with anorgasmia down the track or other problems. So there's other medications as well you can use to treat premature ejaculation. You can use tramadol. Um, side effects of tramadol aren't great. There's a drug called Prilogy, which is made specifically for it, which works well but is very expensive. Um, and then there's other simple things like there's a um a, a, like a topical application called steady freddy there's lots of numbing creams that you can put on the head of the penis to stop it from feeling so sensitive which are fine but most of them don't work and also they will cause numbness in their partner which you don't really want steady freddy is a good one and it's on my we've got a link to it from the shop on my website 
because it the way that it, it you spray it on and then five minutes later you wipe it off and it's absorbed quickly so it affects the penis owner but not the partner so I think that's a really good option um, and it's definitely worth trying the other thing is just wearing a condom is really good for premature ejaculation because it reduces sensitivity um, but obviously people don't want to do that always and the other really good treatment um, for PE is for someone if they're going to if it's at the beginning of the PE journey when it's all just started happening it's often because they're a bit excited um, about a new partner and they're really stimulated so in those cases we would encourage them to have an orgasm in the same day before they go to see their partner so premature ejaculation can be primary or secondary primary you really need to go for medication and and more permanent fixes for that because any of these other techniques are not usually going to work um, but if it's secondary it's often just transient like they've met a new partner they're anxious nervous excited whatever the case may be and they have it and they'll find that once they settle into a relationship with that person or the novelty wears off that this problem might resolve in those cases if the person has tried everything else and it still is really anxiety causing for them then I will prescribe short-term courses of medication so that they can learn to trust themselves again. And often young guys will come in and they'll have it and it's really stressed them out and we'll put them on like a month or a couple of months of medication and then I won't hear from them again and I'll follow them up and they'll go, oh, yeah, I ran out of medication, but it seems to be fine now. And that's just because they've become more comfortable and learned to trust themselves. Then we have Peroni's disease. Um, so Peroni's, oh, and that slide, sorry, that slide is wrong. But anyway, I should have changed those and I haven't. Peroni's disease is when you get a wonky willy, so it bends. And it can bend in all different scenarios. If it bends up this way, perfect. That is great because one bending that way from a slight angle and they have a female partner is very enjoyable. Um, but obviously, if it bends on a right angle one way or the other, it's not going to be very useful. So Peroni's disease is caused from two reasons. One is, um, as I said earlier, injury. So if you have any kind of injury to the shaft of the penis, then when it forms, when it heals, it can get, it'll get a scar tissue inside. And if the scar tissue, for instance, was on this side here, when the penis tries to fill up with blood down the track and it takes a long time for this to happen often six to 12 months after the injury it won't be able to fill up as well on that side as it does on the other and they'll end up with a bent penis so there's a lot of things we can do to help out Peroni's disease I mean first most important is that as soon as people have an injury <clears throat> they need to get help um, but Secondly, we need to usually start them. There's a protocol that we follow where we start them on a low-dose PBE5 medication such as Cialis, really low-dose, because we want to pump extra blood into the shaft of the penis and like try and get it to have as many erections as possible so it's stretching and lengthening that scar tissue. Also encourage, if it's palpable, people to massage it. There's also some amazing devices now. Um, there's a traction device called Restorix, I never used to prescribe um, traction for Peronis because you used to have to have it on the other, other kind of implements that you would use. You would need to have on the penis for 12 hours a day and that's just completely impractical in anyone's life. But um, Restorix was developed by the Mayo Clinic and you only need to wear it for 30 minutes morning and night. 
um, and over a 12-week period, along with the medication that will help break down the scar tissue, we're getting really good results. The research shows about 80% effectiveness. The other thing is using a penis pump. And there's a particular regime for Peyronie's disease when you use a penis pump. And it's basically you pump him up and down in quick succession 20 times each day. And again, it's all about stretching the plaque and releasing, stretching and releasing the plaque. Um, a colleague of mine also does shockwave therapy for Peyronie's calcifications. She's a physiotherapist. And um, there is some really good results coming out of a big study they're doing in the USA about this, but there, the evidence isn't there yet. But she's doing it as well. Um, and, you know, it doesn't cause harm. And if men are very, or penis owners are very keen, then I encourage them to try that as well. The medications that we use are, as I said, Tadatafil, Cialis. Um, there's a specific drug called Trental, which is made to break down the calcification and the scar tissue. There's also some herbs, curcumin, largemine, and the carotene. They um, all help you produce more nitrous, nitrous oxide and break down the scar tissue and get better erectile function. So the pump, the data shows it about 60% effective over a three-month period. The traction, about 80% um, in conjunction with medications. So really important and you can also if all of those conservative measures fail then there is surgery that fixes these problems so i've been finding increasingly that more and more urologists are sending their um, patients in when they first get the referral from the gp and we'll do a three-month conservative treatment and if we don't have any result then they operate rather than go straight for surgery peronis is often not picked up until it's quite severe the reason being that penis owners are very embarrassed about it and they don't want to ask. So really important um, that, you know, if you're doing an assessment, you ask if there's any lumps, bumps in the penis shaft, if they've noticed any changes in shape, anything like that. And orgasmia. So not being able to have an orgasm. So an orgasmia. It happens to women a lot and it, or vulva owners and it happens to men a lot as well. Anorgasmia is very frustrating for people and usually the worse they feel frustrated and anxious about it, the worse it affects them and the worse the problem becomes. So this is Jeffrey looking for his orgasm because he can't find him. Um, the most common causes of anorgasmia that I see are medications and many medications can cause this problem. So we really need to make sure we have a proper history of what the person is taking. The other thing that can cause anorgasmia is stress, um, or it might also be some sort of lower back pain. Often people have lower back pain and that's causing problems with the nerves like firing down there. So it's a tricky one, um, but it is possible to deal with it. We use oxytocin nasal spray for this because oxytocin is one of the hormones that gets released when you have an orgasm. So um, that really, that helps in one in three people and we get that made at a compounding pharmacy. The other thing that we use is bupropion, um, which is most commonly used to quit smoking. Um, that can improve orgasms. And we also go through a lot of things about using different methods. So vibration, we might use like a vibrating egg on the perineum area or on the frenulum of the penis, things like that. Um, and 
yeah, it's often just trial and error to find something that is more stimulating. Um, probably the most common thing I see in younger men is anorgasmia with a partner and they don't have any problems when they're masturbating or having solo sex. Now, the reason for that is because if um, penetrative sex in an anus or in a, in a vagina are never going to have the same amount of tightness that you can get with a hand grip. So they can often do it because they need that much sensation because they've trained their body that they need it to be really hard. So in those instances, I encourage um, penis owners to not masturbate with their hand. And I would encourage them to use something like this, which is a Nero. Um, it's just a device, a masturbation device, but you pop your penis in it. And then because it's got these like little hand grips, you can't really grip the shaft really hard. So something like that, or even a flashlight, we want them to, you know, there's nothing wrong with masturbation. It's healthy, good for them, but we want them to be able to do something that is not going to put extra pressure so that they can then, if they want to, have an orgasm when they're having penetration. So often it's training as well. They've just trained themselves to need a certain amount of stimulation that they don't have any other way. So it's about retraining them. And orgasmia can also occur when people have been watching a lot of porn. And I'm certainly not anti-porn. Um, I just think you need to be careful when people are watching it that they don't keep escalating because if they're watching porn, which is never going to happen in real life, then that's the thing that's going to turn them on to that arousal level. Then they need to, and you know, they may not have a partner that's going to do those things or they might not actually be practical in real life. Um, so they need that level of stimulation, which then creates an orgasmia in a normal situation. So desensitizing and like pulling back off that type of pornography is often really helpful as well. And often that is all that's required is getting people to watch vanilla sex um, and not watch the escalated stuff. That's often enough. We have hard flaccid syndrome. So hard flaccid syndrome is quite new in the, in the literature. Um, there's a paper that was out in 2019 about it, and it seems to be more common since COVID. And I've seen a few young men with hard flaccid since, with, since they had COVID. And it's also, as I was talking about earlier, caused by like extended periods of erection. So um, people might be watching porn, keeping on stimulating, but not letting themselves have an orgasm and then it go back down. Um, using a penis pump in an incorrect manner. And yeah, so that's, it's actually surprisingly common. It's hard to explain, but it feels when you feel it, like the penis is semi-erect and it never really goes back down. And when you touch it, it sort of feels rubbery. Uh, so it can be caused by a lot of reasons. Um, anxiety is another one. And the problem is, is if if someone, if a penis owner's penis isn't behaving how he how it used to, and then suddenly it's doing not doing that, then they're going to be anxious as well. So they get a very tight pelvic floor usually. They often will have perineal pain, and then they'll explain it as having this penis that kind of never really goes down and it doesn't really go up either. It's just kind of stuck in this semi-erect state all the time. It's very distressing for people. Um, and there is help. Pelvic floor physio is really important in hard flaccid and often just getting the blood flow to improve medication and pelvic floor release. Definitely something that needs to be seen by someone who's seen it before.
So this is just happy Jeffrey when we've dealt with all these problems. Um, if you want more information about me, these are the places to find. I also have another Instagram handle, which is Melissa Hadley Barrett, and that is only men's stuff. I put predominantly men's things on that. And also, if you're interested, we have a podcast, which I do with Joe Milios, who's a physiotherapist who specialises in men's health. Um, so we, I think we're up to like episode 126 or something this week. We have one episode comes out every week and it's great. It's um, not that we're great, but the people we interview are great. So we've interviewed lots and lots of patients with Peyronie's disease, prostate cancer, ED, premature ejaculation, and specialists as well. But the thing that I like most of all about this podcast is the patient stories. And I think men often feel, penis owners, often feel very alone. So I think it's really important um, for them. And they don't tell each other their deep, dark secrets like um, women often do. So I think it's really important to get them to to listen to other people's stories and know they're not alone. And the guys on this all have false names. Um, no one can see them. So they're incredibly honest and candid, really. So you can find The Penis Project on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, we, have, we started it just for our patients and we've ended up with an audience worldwide, um, which is amazing. And we have like thousands of downloads every week we can't really believe it how well it's gone so yeah if you want to check it out or recommend that to any um patients you might have that are penis owners or even not vulva owners will probably learn a whole lot too and we also have interviewed like um gynecologists on there about menopause because often people want to know about it that and and everything that goes on so if you want more information, uh, please email me. If you go to my website, you'll see that I also have a YouTube channel with lots and lots of different talks and little skits and things on. I have little videos go on Instagram most weeks and we have the podcast as well. So very passionate about getting the information out there. And I think any health professional who's prepared to just raise the conversation with their patient and tell them that there is help, avail help available, that's the most important thing you can do and make them feel like it's okay to be sad about this, that, you know, they don't have to just accept it and deal with it as part of life, that it's perfectly okay for them to, to be sad and to ask for help. And that's it for me. Um, I hope this is what you were wanting today. And yeah, if you have any questions, please send me an email. I try and answer emails on Mondays and Wednesdays. Gonna Thank tell you, very much. you about a boy Bye. lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. Hi, I'm Melissa, and I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. Just a reminder, if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer, I've built a penile rehabilitation program just for you. It's an online program packed with information, exercises and advice, along with proven strategies that will get your penis back in working order as quickly as possible in about 15 minutes a day. If you like the sound of that, then please head over to penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you can start straight away. Or there's a link from the RS Health website. We would also love you to review and subscribe and share this podcast so we can help more men. 
Links to Instagram and Facebook are in the show notes. We look forward to seeing you there. So spread the word that help is available. All the best for now. Bye. I've got a boy of my own now. It fills me with pride. To see him growing so fast into a man. His victories become mine.